Hi, my name is Jonathan Nowlin. I'm the author of Managing Your Metron, a practical theology of work, mission, and meaning, and the founder of the Metron Manager Project. Do you feel trapped in the ordinary? Do you often feel like you should be doing something extraordinary, but your day job is in the way? I believe that when you discover God's original design for vocation, then the ordinary becomes extraordinary. We are created in the image and likeness of our Father God, the ultimate creator and the builder of all things. God worked and now we work. Work spiritual was ordained before the fall. It is not a result of sin or a form of punishment. Vocation is the very means through which God intends to build his kingdom. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10:13, We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed to us. The word sphere in the text is translated from the Greek word metron. I describe metron as a measure of responsibility delegated by God to you in the midst of creation, culture, and spiritual history. Paul indicates that he had a metron, and likewise, you have a metron in the kingdom of God. I would like to invite you and your small group to use my book, Managing Your Metron, and newly released curriculum called Discover the Original Design of Vocation. This transformational 10-session study will catalyze your journey to recover the dignity and mission of vocation. This experiential curriculum is designed for group and individual participation. It is ideal for a semester structure or can be spread out over an entire year. I will also be making myself available to groups utilizing the course for in-person or live video Q&A sessions. I look forward to helping you discover purpose in your vacation and thrive in the kingdom of God. Remember, God has not only given you permission, but a commission to work. Hello. Good morning, church. What a treat to be back. It has been a little while, and a lot's happened since I've seen you guys. I'm glad you're all still here. This is good. Um, yeah, our lives have changed a lot. I'm sure you guys have faced some changes, too, and some challenges. Um, who hasn't these days? So, uh, yeah, this uh, Metron Manager project, uh, since we started with that, I just want to give you a quick update, because many of you know us for many years. Uh, we were with CO Global for, gosh, going on... 10, 11, 12 years, somewhere in there, it is a blur. And that was a, a phenomenal season of opportunity uh, ministering to the uh, up-and-coming leaders in China and the university system. But at the end of last year, God really strongly leaned on me and indicated it was time to transition out. Didn't totally know why. Uh, my health wasn't strong enough to really carry an international organization as a CEO. That was a lot of work. And uh, so I was kind of like, all right, this, there's some dynamics here. But then he really put it on my heart because I'd been working on this book uh, called Managing Your Metron for about 18 months. God had put it on my heart to uh, write this while I was uh, in a lot of recovery from my, uh, my health issues related to brain surgery and different things, which you guys have prayed for numerous times and have been key in helping me recover. Really appreciate that. Um, yeah, so I was working on this book, but God said, okay, there's more to this project than the, just the book. I want you to actually launch a ministry around this and to minister to uh, cross the board, really. One of my friends calls it dis, uh, discipling the work nation. I kind of like that term because we all work. And what I found is in our work with China, 
and with our, our teams there is all of, our, all of the folks that worked with us were non-traditional Christian workers. They were all people in uh, corporate sectors, uh, regular jobs, they're students. I was the only traditional vocational Christian worker in the, in the operation. And we had, we had thousands of volunteers involved in our work over the years. So I realized that God actually wants to do something through um, the everyday believer in their everyday world, and it tied into the book. So I heard this quote early on as I was working on this whole project uh, from Billy Graham. And he said, uh, let me see if I can find the exact wording. Yeah, it's right here in the curriculum. I believe, he said, I believe that one of the next great moves of God is going to be through the believers in the workplace. And it was right before, kind of right before he passed away. It was a really important moment um, in my thinking. So I leaned into right, launching this new book and this new curriculum on theology of work and meaning and actually tackling the future of missions. What does mission actually look like in the future? Because a lot of things has changed. So these books, uh, I'm going to talk from this book with, with some purpose. I'm going to take a small piece out and talk with you guys about that. But I also want to encourage you, I brought some of these along and this new curriculum that was mentioned in the video, Discover the Original Design of Vocation. It's an experiential, small group-based uh, uh, kind of a walkthrough through the book. It helps you go through the chapters and work as a group together on discussions and internalizing it. Those are available for a donation of any amount in the back, so you can see them on the table. Uh, anything you'd like to do is fine. If you're totally broke, you can't afford one, take one anyway, but if you can donate, that will be helpful. Um, yeah, so today, if I get all my equipment set up here, I'm going to introduce, I would say, the very, very basic concept with theology of work. Because what I've found is that, especially in this day and age, and the things that we're facing as a nation, people don't really know if they have God's favor in their life or if they have any purpose. And that's hard. That's a hard place to be in. And a lot of times you feel abandoned. You know, you lose your job. Someone gets ill. You know, you get COVID stuff. You've got uh, all kinds of disruptions socially within families. It's a pretty uncertain time right now that we live in. And what I want to bring today is just a quick uh, laying again of, of a cornerstone of your faith and of your identity. Because I think if you get this concept, this basic concept, I call it theology of work 101. If you get this basic concept in place in your life, then like I said in the video, uh, the ordinary can become extraordinary. And you really do see how God intends things to work in his kingdom. Let's see where to start. Oh, man. Okay, I got a few things to go through. Hang with me. You'll see uh, a lot of a lot of text on the slides. You can read that if you want. Um, I am going to read a, a number of excerpts. So you got to put on your thinking cap this morning. I know it's early and you feel like you're going to be back in school, but it's something I really felt God wanted us to walk away with today, this 101 talk. So as I mentioned in the video, the concept of a metron. Here's a quote I want to start with that reinforces this from Dallas Willard. Got to excuse my old man reading glasses. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. 
this uh, reinforces this concept that I'm getting at with, and I call it, I say with this, your metron is your corner of human existence. Everybody's got one and everybody's responsible for one. Here's another great quote, kind of gives a little more context from N.T. Wright in Surprised by Hope. He says, what you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it all behind together. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. And we're all playing a part in that. You're born into it. You know when you're born, you're given a job description. When Adam and Eve were born, they woke up and God handed them a scope, a job uh, work scope. And uh, <laughs> they were on the clock. So, so are we, no matter what you do or where you're at. We'll get a little more into that in a second. But I want to start at the very beginning. So this cornerstone we're going to talk about, I call the original commission. I think if we lay hold of this, it'll apply to anyone in any context you know, one of, the, one of the demographics that I found resonated the most with some of this talk was uh, not unexpectedly was homeschooling families, but also um, some friends of mine uh, are integrating it in with their African-American homeschool programs. And I found that some of the most enthusiastic people about the message, this message were not the people I intended initially, but it's really resonated back to me that this is an across-the-board concept that we need to grasp in scripture. So let's dive in on the original commission. So what were Adam and Eve actually supposed to do when, when they were put in the garden? Genesis 2.15 says, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. So the word cultivate comes to your original Hebrew word avad or abad, depending on the translation. So the word avad in the Hebrew text meant to work the work of cultivation. But it's a multi-dimensional word. It can also mean worship. Adam and Eve were given the original commission to work. Work was ordained before the fall. It's not a result of the fall. So if we get that positionally in mind from the very beginning, that work is not something you do because God's mad at you. <laughs> and so he's not universally mad at mankind and says, I'm just going to punish you all. When you're born, you start working. I'm just mad all the time, so you're all going to work all the time. That's not what he intended. <clears throat> and if we can get past that fundamental hurdle, life gets really exciting. So you have to see work as God's design and opportunity, not a punishment for your crimes, past, present, or future. So I know there's a lot of us that have worked jobs that we felt like poor punishment for our crimes. And I have done the same. <laughs> so I was telling some of the youth group when I spoke last week here at the program uh, that my first job was I was still 14 and I started working in the dish room at a ski resort every night. During school, I would start at five at night and I would go clear till sometimes one in the morning during school. That was my life every night, my freshman year of high school. That was a rough job. And uh, you could feel like you were being punished, but I chose not to for some reason. And I actually ended up thriving in many years of restaurant work. And uh, so I know what it means to be down in the ditches, so to speak, with that. So the original commission, how is work spiritual? It's spiritual because it's designed to be worship. It's designed to be a primary form of worship. We don't get an opportunity to sing all the time and to do what we would consider traditional religious 
worship experiences, though those are great, like we had this morning, fantastic worship time. But what do you do most of your day? Whether you're on the clock for a company or you're raising a family or even if you're doing things you might even consider a hobby, you're still responsible for what you're doing. That's your work. That's your vocation. Anything you set your hand to do is your work. That's why the Bible says, do everything is unto the Lord. So again, in Genesis 2.15, that word cultivate, avad, also means worship. It's interesting that it's intentional. It probably is intentional on the part of the original uh, language to merge those two. So they're like an interchangeable definition, work, worship, worship, work. So from the very beginning, they basically was a multidimensional activity. So you're doing work, which oftentimes you feel like, I would say, is lateral. You're dealing with the world around you. But if you're doing it in its truest multidimensional sense, it's also vertical. So it's, it's connecting with heaven. It's spiritual at the same time. And you kind of have the choice of how you approach work. You can keep it lateral, and that's okay. Most people do who don't even recognize that work is worship. Or if you are a believer and you're actually, your spirit is actively engaged in your work as worship, then you're doing what Adam and Eve were doing in the Garden of Eden. They were stewarding up and they were stewarding out. And that's where work gets really special, is if that is part of how you view your work. And I always did that when I was working, even as a kid. I don't know why, um, but something in me always uh, inspired me to do that. And I actually enjoyed it. It's a whole other story, or I'm going to write a whole other book about that. But all that to say, your work is multidimensional. It's spiritual. It's a form. It's intended to be worship. The word we get here from the language cultivate, we get the word or comes from the word cultus in English, which is Latin for worship. So it ties in all linguistically and historically. So Adam and Eve were commissioned to cultivate and work as worship. I want to show you a video now that will reinforce this, and then we'll keep talking. Work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the nine to five with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business, work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, 
It's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days in our calendars that have meaning. Every day on Mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. Amen. That video is from Right Now Media. Great organization. Let's continue looking at the original commission with that video in, in mind here. So how did you get permission and a commission to work? Let's look at Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So I want to look at a couple of key uh, words here in this commission. This is your original commission. Before there was the Great Commission, there was the original commission. And if you read my book, you'll find out how they're both the same commission. Um, I want to look at this idea of commission. So what does a commission impart? Identity, authority, and ability. So the identity, be, I like to highlight the word be fruitful. So that's what, who you are, what you're doing, your being. You're getting your identity in this commission. Your authorization to carry out a role, your authority to subdue. And your, power, your empowerment to perform or carry it out. Your ability, you rule. That's your methodology and your ability. And you've got a commission. That the concept of the commission comes from God blessed them and said to them. Very similar to, say, you get a commission in the military or something. You're getting delegated authority from a superior who also has delegated authority. So you've got your commission, you've got your identity, your authority, and your ability summed up right in that statement in Scripture. Another interesting concept that I think helps us get our cornerstone aligned about work. Let's look at Genesis 2.5. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. I skipped over that for about 35 years in my life and didn't make any sense. And I started to think about this. God actually designed the world. He designed the world outside the garden, and he designed your metron to need and require your labor. So we have to work for creation to work. This is part of the original design. God doesn't bring everything to fruition. He puts the seed there, but he's waiting for you to apply your hand. The word, uh, well, I won't get into the other words in scripture about this, but so the word, when you lay your hand on it, God brings the rain. But if you don't take responsibility for it to co-labor with God, that potential can lay dormant in the ground waiting for a man to cultivate the ground. Just like Adam and Eve were called to cultivate the ground and then it would bring produce. God had not sent the rain upon the earth. He'll, 
this is the encouraging part. You, this is why productivity happens. This is why God wants to bless through labor. He wants you to set your hand to it. He's put the potential there. He's given you that commission that we just talked about. And if you co-labor, you partner and you obey, and you lay your hand on that sector, you lay your hand on that job, you lay your hand on that family, you lay your hand on that government position, you lay your hand at sweeping the floor, working in the dish room like I used to do. And that's when you see produce come out of that and productivity. So creation was designed to require mankind to fulfill a co-laboring role with God. Mankind would work, God would send the rain, and then the earth would bloom. So if we don't see things blooming in our Metron, it's often because we're not laying our hand to it. There's other factors, but the primary one is that the potential is not being brought forward because of how God designed things to work. Okay, let's look at a couple key truths here about work. Here's a question. Is work the way or in the way? Is work the way or in the way? That's something we always have to answer and we have to come to terms with if we're going to make a difference in our lives. Because you will spend your life working. It's just how God designed it. It's a matter of do you see it as the way of the kingdom or in the way of the kingdom? The Bible says the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. In Psalms. So some key truths about work. We are created in the image and the likeness of our Father God, the ultimate creator and builder of all things. God worked, and now we work. God work is spiritual and was ordained before the fall. It is not a result of sin or a form of punishment. We talked about that. Work is worship. Let's talk about vocation. Vocation is the very means which God intends, through which God intends to build his kingdom. So we've got to get this idea of vocation. I'm going to do a little bit of an author read. I forgot what they call these things where the author reads a page of his own book. I'm going to give it a shot. So I did this to the youth group the other night. It worked all right. Let's see if I can do it to you too. We're going to take a look here at the good work of vocation. This is on page 51 of my book. It starts with a quote from Daryl Miller great Christian thinker and author on worldview, says, he says, God is working to reverse the effects of the fall, and he calls us to work with him. Okay, here's where I start in the book. What do you do? This is a common question that we are asked when meeting new people. We all have different answers based on our day-to-day -day activities. One might answer that I'm a student, or I work in such and such industry, or I'm the mother of four children she might rightly respond that she does four full-time jobs. No matter the season of life we are in or the scope of responsibility that currently describes our Metron, we, are, we all work for a common company. As followers of Christ, we are all in the family business. So what does the family business do? Our father is in the reconciliation and restoration business, and your collaboration, you're laying your hand on stuff, you're co-laboring with him, is how he gets business done. Within all our diversity of activity in the family business, we all have a unifying bottom line. We are working with our father to reverse the effects of the fall. When we grasp this high calling, our work gets truly exciting. And even work that seems mundane or inconsequential becomes deeply fulfilling. What you do is not the point. What matters is how you do what you do, where you are. Whether you are a stay-at-home parent, a bank teller, entrepreneur, leader of a nation, 
the original commission imparts authority and responsibility to manage the metron God has given you. Just as in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14, we will be held accountable for how we manage his possessions. God wants you to learn to be faithful with the little so he can entrust you with much. If by chance you try to avoid God's design, you might abdicate personal responsibility by saying something like, I don't have any sort of metron. The truth is that everyone has parents, friends, coworkers, hobbies, social standing, school, vocation, family, property, community, ideas, and dreams. Every metron is a compilation of all these aspects of life. Your metron may be smaller and simpler to navigate, but it contains at least one distinct project. Everyone has a sphere of influence that at least contains one person, you. Your metron is the garden into which you were placed to serve and protect. The scope and purpose of your original commission, of the original commission, resonate in your garden, even if you are technically unemployed. This is important, many of us are unemployed. No matter what you do on a day-to-day basis, you are commissioned to reverse the effects of the fall within anyone or anything that you influence. You may not have a job, but you do have influence. You may not have many resources, but you have at least one of God's gifts. You may not have employees to manage or citizens to govern, govern, but you do have a metron, even if it only contains you. So that's the the heart of vocation and managing your metron. So the concept of vocation is important. You're always employed. You're never unemployed. You don't quit. You don't get a chance to quit being responsible. (laughs) Not in God's kingdom. Let's look at a couple of, quickly at a couple of the barriers um, that get in the way of a solid cornerstone in the theology of work. So let's get a few worldviews of work. Uh, Daryl Miller writes about these. He says, animistic worldviews regarding work. The definition, the distinguishing characteristic of this view is that work is a necessary evil that one puts up with in order to have food to eat. The next worldview of work is a materialistic. The distinguishing characteristic of this view is that a person works to succeed and have material wealth. That's most of the world. But where we run into trouble here in the Christian world is a Gnostic worldview of work. It has produced what I call the denigration of vocation or work. How did that happen? So how did, that become, how did work become secular? How did vocation become secular? Gnosticism crept into our thinking. So what is Gnosticism? It is one of the most prevalent heresies that threatened the early church, influenced by philosophers such as Plato, Gnosticism is based on two false premises. These are important. Matter is inherently evil, and the spirit is inherently good. So we immediately get a divide between sacred and secular. It starts to creep in. Everything in or of the body has no meaning because life only exists in the spirit realm. So you start to denigrate everything that you put your hand to do becomes lower, and this becomes higher, rather than seeing the nature of your multidimensional existence as the same. Embracing Gnosticism in the body of Christ has allowed us, allowed for work to be segregated into sacred and secular. So a prominent consequence of this false dichotomy, this is straight from my book, uh, regarding work has been the denigration of vocation and the undermining of God's original commission. If work is no longer viewed as worship, then it becomes a secondary activity that is no longer spiritual. 
Okay, here's the, here's the big speed bumps for the church. Let's look at the evangelical Gnostic paradigms. Those are huge words for early on a Sunday morning. Okay, evangelical Gnostic paradigms of work. Don't try to say it. You just read it. Okay, the first one. You see where you resonate in these, okay? Everybody does. Evangelical Gnostic paradigm. The distinguishing characteristic of this view is that there is work that is spiritual and work that is secular. From this perspective, the world and secular jobs are seen as slightly evil, bad, or only necessary. If one wants to be more spiritual, then he or she goes into full-time Christian service. This is defined as pastoring, missions, and other spiritual work, quote, unquote. Second evangelical Gnostic paradigm, the distinguishing characteristic of this view is that one should endeavor to spiritualize your secular work. You're still seeing it as one sacred, one is secular. Some Christians who do not want to go into full-time Christian work seek to invest spiritual activity into their workplace. Attempts are made to validate your work by spiritualizing it through only seeing your workplace as a, as a place to do spiritual ministry. So you're still seeing it as separate, as one is better than the other, not work as worship, not integrated. And you're trying to kind of give yourself, make yourself feel better about, you know, your, your office job by like, okay, I'm going to run a Bible study at my office that, you know, then I can do something spiritual at my work. There's nothing wrong with running a Bible study at your job, but that misses the point. You're still considering your job as secular and just a platform to try to do something spiritual. Granted, a lot of it is uh, secularized, and there's a lot of non-believers there, and you need to run a Bible study at your work. But that's not the heart of work and not the heart of vocation. So let's look at a kingdom worldview of work. The framework for work being sacred, for labor having dignity. This concept of work is that it is a vocation, one's calling. Work is a call of God upon an individual's life. It becomes the sphere or the metron through which, not merely within that, that a Christian serves Christ and his kingdom. It is the occupation, the principal business of one's life through which one occupies territory or sphere or metron of influence. So here's the important concept. You have to occupy or the enemy will own it. You, that's part of your commission. When, when, we, when we're in the family business, we're occupying space. I think that was even mentioned in the devotional video before I started sharing today. Um, that you have to displace, you have to occupy, you have to leave no room in your metron for the enemy. Because if you don't occupy that, you're, you consider the stuff around you secular, then you're inviting the God of the secular into that space. If you say, no, this is holy, this is set apart, I'm setting my hand on this. I, may, I sanctify this area. I sanctify this work. This work is worship. Enemies got better things to do than try to hang out there. That's not going to be pleasant. So you've got to occupy it or occupy that space in your metron or the enemy will own it. You've got to take responsibility. Okay, lastly, key indicators that you have a kingdom worldview of work. I'm just going to run through these. Work is spiritual. Work is a reflection of the character and nature of God. Work is the means through which God establishes his kingdom. It's what you do every day. Work is of eternal value. Work is an act of worship. Work is a vocation or a calling. Work has inherent dignity and imparts dignity. Work is vocation, a calling from God on a person's life. 
Work is God's original design for mankind, and work is understood to be vital for the flourishing of creation. So if things aren't blooming around you, don't blame other people. Take responsibility. And you may not be able to influence beyond the size of this podium. It might just be you in this podium. I know people who are in prison in foreign countries for doing missions who decided that their prison cell was going to be their metron and it was going to be the kingdom of heaven was going to rule in that domain, in that space. And they didn't have much control of their lives. You think uh, some civil unrest and fires and a, and a plague are bad? Try spending years in a solitary confinement. Can you heavenize that? Probably not if you haven't heavenized in peace here in your metron where you live in the golden age. <laughs> so, you know, look at the world around you. Heavenize this space that's within you that you have here. Take responsibility at least for yourself. And God wants to bless you and multiply if you're faithful with the little. You'll be faithful with much. So that's the concept of metrons and managing your metrons. So a little bit of a quick Theology of Work 101 introduction. Um, I really hope that you guys can get your cornerstone settled back. Feels like we've been through an earthquake these days and our foundations are shaken. But the kingdom of God can't be shaken. The Bible says that whatever can be shaken will be shaken. So if things are out of whack, it's not the kingdom of God. <laughs> so you got to get your cornerstone lined back up with the chief cornerstone. So... I also pray for you guys, and then I'm going to wrap up, and I'll be available between services if you want to chat. Uh, books are in the back. You can grab those if you're inclined to. I'll, if you're not a reader, totally understand. You can also go to my website, metronmanager.com, and the, the video course on this is free. You can do an in-depth overview of the book. Just watch the videos. Uh, and also, uh, my Instagram channel. If you go follow the Instagram channel, in a year you'll get all the content of the book. So uh, it'll go out in artwork format every day. Okay, Lord, bless my friends here, God. I pray that they would be released and established and recommissioned with their original commission, God, and that their cornerstone would be realigned to the chief cornerstone, the author and builder of all things. And so Lord, we just ask for your anointing and your empowering on them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan.